To all you moms, happy Mother's Day. It's an enthusiastic bunch. <laughs> Most of you are probably exhausted from getting your kids ready to be at church on Mother's Day. I read two interesting things this week. One I forgot to mention in the first service. First thing I read was, and then it was brought to my attention again after the first service, a statistic that said that Mother's Day in our country is the lowest crime rate that we have, right? So of every day of the year, Mother's Day is the lowest crime rate. And so the person that was writing this little factoid, I think was under the assumption that, you know, the bad guys tried to be good and stayed home with mom. I'm wondering if maybe the moms aren't the criminals, right? And all the eyes were on them. So you just kept your hands in your own pockets for a day. I don't know, just posing that question. The second thing I read was a very interesting article that posed the question, who is the greatest mom in the Bible? And so I read through it, and, and it asked the question, you know, was it Eve? Eve is the mother of creation, right? The, the first mom. Was it Rebecca, the mother of Jacob and Esau? Was it Sarah, the mother of Isaac? Move into the New Testament. Was it Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist? All of these fantastic mothers, all of these women raised fantastic children. But my question for you this morning, moms, is what must it have been like to be Mary, to be the mother of the Savior of mankind, to be the mother of Jesus Christ? I mean, you look at it and you think, yeah, I mean, it, it had to be this special, but man, it, it had to be like really working in her favor sometimes, right? Because like she's walking around the house and all the rooms are a mess. It's like, clean your room, but you go into Jesus' room and it's always pristine, Right, or she's getting on the kids, you gotta take a bath, but Jesus is like eternally clean, right? Or think about this one, because I thought about this last night when I went to open the pantry for a little midnight snack as I was going over this, and I thought, man, we need to go to the grocery store before Monday. Imagine being Mary, like you forget to make your way down to the corner market or whatever they had, and there's nothing to cook for dinner, so you look over at Jesus, and he's like, all right, so he gets out whatever's left and blesses it up unto his father, and now you've got like a Thanksgiving spread. Like it had to have benefits to be in the mother of Jesus. But at the same time, you wonder, because Mary was human, right? There was no divine side to Mary, and so at times she had to lose her temper she had to get a little out of control, stub her toe, get angry. You think when she did that and she had that moment of just anger, she looked over and Jesus was in the corner like, I saw that. <laughs> if you ask moms, almost any mom, almost any mom will tell you, moms with multiple children, that they do not have a favorite child. They will almost always look at you and tell you, I love all of my kids the same. My mom does this. I'll ask her, Mom, you know I'm your favorite. And she'll look me in the eye and she'll say, I love all of my kids the same, but I can read it in her eyes, right? <laughs> She's like, yeah, you, you're, you're my favorite. You're special. And my siblings know this. And they're not here today to defend themselves. And so we're going to go with that as fact. Can't you just imagine Mary talking to the other kids in the household like, James, why can't you be more like Jesus? As parents, as moms, do you ever ask that question? Why can't my kid just be more like Jesus? More than likely, you ask yourself the question, is my kid going to meet Jesus today, right? <laughs> I just got an amen on, is my kid going to meet Jesus today? It is Mother's Day. But just like moms don't have favorites, 
unless you're my mom. And just like moms don't have perfect children, although mine might have been close, moms don't have perfect kids and moms don't play favorites. And that's what makes moms so special. Because I'm a firm believer if we look at dads in the room and if we're real serious with ourselves, dad, we deserve one day a year. But I watched my wife mother my children and I watched my mom mother me and my siblings growing up and if I'm being completely honest with you, I feel like every day is Mother's Day. It should be in our homes every day, Mother's Day, because moms love without fail. Moms love in a way that only they have the capacity to love and a lot of times their love without condition and without fail comes even when children, us, don't always deserve it. Moms fight fearlessly for their children. You ever seen Mama Bear come out? I've been in a room with my wife when Mama Bear comes out, and my only thought is, dear God, help the person that just brought Mama Bear out. Moms are fierce when they protect their children. And here's the thing about being a mom. Although their work is tireless and although your effort is never-ending, a mom's job does not end every day when they put their children to bed because moms stay up all night worrying about their children. There are seasons in the lives of the kids that moms raise as they grow older where the kid will not be at all appreciative of the tireless, effortless work that you do. They will bicker, they will complain, they will have attitude. And they will not say thank you one time. Yet a mom's love does not change. A mom's love does not alter. And there are all kinds of moms. There's biological moms. There's foster moms. There's moms that adopted and became moms by choice. There's single moms. Happily married moms. There are grandmoms. There are grandmothers that have taken to raising their children because something's going on in the lives of their own children that they're incapable of raising them. There are all kinds of moms. Yet I would imagine that most of you moms here today, if not all of the moms here today, if I ask you, you would look me in the eye and tell me that your children are your greatest blessing from God. I would imagine that you moms would agree That being a mom is not only a job, a duty, a responsibility. I think you would tell me that being a mom is your greatest calling from God in this life to raise your children. And I think you mothers would also tell me if I asked you that your children belong to God first and foremost. Why? Because those are the traits of a godly mom, of a faithful mom. Love that doesn't fail. And love that was without condition, unconditional love. But if those are the traits, if those are the characteristics, the output, the result of being a faithful mom, this morning I want to look at what is the character of a faithful mom. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I want to look at the story this morning of a woman who was faithful to God both before and after she had her child. And I'm going to pick up in verse 3. And in verse 3 it says, This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. 
And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you or better for you than ten sons? So in this story, we have a man. The man's name is Elkanah. And this man has not one wife, but he has two wives. And one, not, uh, one wife is named Panina, and the other wife is named Hannah. And the story tells us that every year at the appropriate time, that Elkanah, being obedient to God and to his faith, he takes his families, both halves of it, to the place of Shiloh, to the house of the Lord, in order to worship the Lord and in order to make sacrifices to the Lord. And then the story tells us that every year when he goes to the house of the Lord to do this, that he gives a portion to his wife, Panina, and to her sons and to her daughters. So that they don't go empty-handed when they get to Shiloh, he gives this wife and her children a portion. But then the story tells us that to his wife, Hannah, he gives a double portion. Why? The story tells us that he gives Hannah a double portion because he loves her. And not only that, but it says that he loves her although, which means he loves her even though, he loves her in spite of the fact that the Lord has closed her womb. That she has a closed womb. It says he gives her a double portion because Elkanah loves Hannah in spite of the fact and regardless of the fact that she cannot bear children. Hannah is barren. And you think about that. Well, Hannah's barren. Hannah's unable to have children. Her womb is closed. But in the context of the time and place and people that she grew up in and was a part of, this is a big deal. See, all throughout Scripture, up to this point, God had made the promise that he would bless his people, that he would bless his children, that he would bless the nation of Israel and the Israelites. And to bless it meant he would increase it. And in order to increase the nation of Israel, that meant that the nation of Israel would grow, which meant more people, which meant babies being born. And so in their custom, in their society, a woman who was barren, who had a closed womb, who was incapable of carrying children, were looked at in a certain way. See, the barrenness wasn't simply looked at as a handicap. It wasn't seen as some kind of physical problem that this woman was born with or that this woman had come across it was seen as something much bigger than that. To be barren was viewed as a curse from God. If you were unable to carry and birth a child, it was because God had cursed you because at some point you had done some sin or something that was offensive to God. And so being barren, that's how she was looked at. Which means in her city, her town, in her neighborhood, 
She would have been persecuted. She would have been looked at with a side eye. She would have been somebody that when the women gathered for tea or coffee or whatever they gathered for, she wouldn't have been there. She would have been ashamed. She would have carried a lot of guilt. She would have been talked about, gossiped about, and made fun of. And as if it's not enough to be persecuted to that point by the women and even the men that live in the place where you live, this story tells us, remember Elkanah had two wives. Hannah's only half of the picture. The other half is Panina. And the story tells us that her sister wife would provoke her and torment her without ceasing. So not only is it happening outside of the home at the market or wherever she's at, but in her own home, her husband's other wife is just ridiculing her mercilessly without end. And the story tells us that it happens to the point every year when they go up to Shiloh to offer their sacrifices that Panina just without end just relentlessly goes in on Hannah. Could be because she's jealous because Hannah is loved more. But either way, the story tells us that it's relentless to the point that Hannah finds herself unable to eat and weeping. That's heavy. What that is is abuse. And I want for just a minute for that to sink in. I want you to feel the weight of that situation. I want you to feel the heaviness of the situation that Hannah is in because it's tragic. It's awful. She is a woman married to a man. She can't bear children. And so everybody around her just despises her for it. And now the woman in her own household is coming at her without end. That's a tragic situation. But see, the name Hannah has a meaning. The name Hannah means favor with God or the grace of God. See, Hannah loved God. And we're going to find out how much Hannah loved God. But because of the fact that Hannah loved God and God loved Hannah, the fact is is that her barrenness has got nothing to do with a curse. She's not barren because God is punishing her. We're going to see that she's barren because that barrenness, just like the child that she will birth in the end, serves a much higher purpose for God and his plan. And that's the first message that I want to get across to you today. Moms, yes, but everybody in the room. Because every one of us in the room has that burden, that thing that we're carrying, that thing that is shameful and, and guiltful, that weight that we're carrying around. And the thing I want you to understand today is that God has a plan for all of it. Everything that happens in your life, God has a plan. And as we'll see it play out, it has a higher purpose. God uses and works with everything. And so I want to pick up the story in, in verse 9. In verse 9, so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, but only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. 
And so Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Then go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And so that's the first trait of a faithful mom I want to look at this morning. Hannah was faithful to God. Hannah had a godly character. No matter what she faced, she never ceased walking with God. She had a personal relationship with the Lord. And because of that personal relationship with the Lord, she knew that even in that moment of deep affliction, even in all of the burden, in all of the weight that she carried with her closed womb, her barrenness, all of her persecution and ridicule, Hannah knew that because of Lord God Almighty, she was not alone in her affliction. And so as she cried out to God, in this relationship, remaining faithful to God, so much so that she tells God, if given a son, she promised him over for a lifetime of service. Now moms, I want you to think about that one for just a minute. Think about that commitment that she just made. That's the equivalent to you praying for your unborn child, that when your child is born, that child be completely given to God, the Lord, in everything that they do. That means every conviction that they have, every beat of their heart, every breath of their lungs, every word they speak, every step they take, every action they commit themselves to, be dedicated fully, wholly, and utterly to the Lord God Almighty. And not only that, but this prayer implies that you would also be playing for your child, not just in their conviction, but in their profession, to have every waking moment of their life be committed fully to the Lord. Their entire human being, like in the, the sermon, the series we're going through, what they are, but also what they do, their human doing. That was Hannah's heart. Because she had a relationship with the Lord. She loved the Lord. And because of that, when Hannah pleads to the Lord, she's not pleading for relief from her abuse. Her conversation in her affliction with her God is not about relief from her persecution. It's not about removal of her shame or of her guilt. In her darkest moment, her relationship with the Lord led her to a place to speak to God out of a deep desire to honor God through her life and through the life of her child should she be blessed with a child. Hannah's heart was for God to give her a child so that she could contribute to God's plan for his people. And she wanted to play her role obediently, and she wanted her son to play that role as well by providing Israel with a godly leader. The point I make about being faithful to God that I want you to understand this morning is this. Hannah was faithful to God no matter what. Because Hannah's sitting in a room that is full of pain, burden, persecution, and relentless torment. 
Even in her own home, in that room, there is endless torment from the other wife in the house. You can't have a child. Nobody loves you. He doesn't want you. He wants me. Look at my sons and daughters. What do you have? But even though that's the room Hannah was in, Hannah stayed in the room no matter what because Hannah trusted that God had a plan and she remained faithful to God. She stayed in the room no matter what. Second thing I want us to notice, I'm going to read this verse again real quick. In verse 15, but Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. The first trait of a faithful mother is to be faithful to God. The second that I want to point out today is Hannah prayed to God. Hannah prayed without fail to God. No matter what, Hannah prayed. To God and there's a really vivid picture here of the prayer that she prayed this isn't Hannah walking through the street saying a quick dear God be with me today and I do pray you'll give me a child at some point and I pray that you'll shut Panina up and um, bless my journey to the store Th- this is not that this is burdened prayer Th- this is heavy earnest heartfelt prayer this is what we call crying out to God this is like prayer room warrior style prayer this is heartfelt and heartbroken this is Hannah pouring her soul out before God this is earnest prayer this is the kind of prayer that you pray when your only hope in life is to cast all of that anxiety and all of that burden and all of that pain on God and then trust him with it. See, Hannah's facing a really, really heavy, tragic situation. But the beautiful thing about it this morning is we see that in the middle of that burden, Hannah didn't turn away from God. Hannah turned to God. In the hardest moment of her life, Hannah didn't walk away from God. Hannah leaned into God, and she came to God, and she begged God. I know a lot of mothers. I know a lot of you mothers in this room today. One of them I live with. One of them raised me. I've had conversations and gotten to know a lot of you in the last seven months. And the one thing that I know about you and all moms is that you have those moments of prayers for your children and for your families. Do you not? Even you that are grown and your kids are long gone, all the way down to the one whose kid is a toddler, there are those moments when you're on your knees and you're crying out to God to save them, protect them when they go to school today. Protect them in the middle of this wilderness season that they're in. Protect them from the friends that are being bullies at school. Protect them from all of this thing because that's what a mother does. And for Hannah, this prayer in this moment is so much less about her barrenness and so much more about her submission. I want you to hear that again, so I'm going to say it again. This prayer is not about her being barren. This prayer is about her being submissive. This prayer is about her taking every burden and pain that she's carrying and giving it to God and putting her faith and her trust in Him and trusting Him enough to walk away from it. This is Hannah saying, I see where my life's at and I'm broken and I hurt and I'm beat down on every side and I can't take food and I can only weep. But God, I submit to your will 
and I seek your plan and I'm ready for it should you choose to give it to me. This prayer is Hannah placing everything she's got, all of her hope into the hands of the Lord. And in doing so, this is Hannah placing her hopefully soon to be unborn child, soon to be baby into the hand of God. But I feel like in that moment, in that real submission, there had to be a part of her in true submission, the way she's praying that said, but God, like Jesus in the garden, right? Take this cup. But even if, let your will be done. That's submission. No matter what the outcome may be, let your will be done. That's what moms do. Faithful moms, especially in difficult situations, because you love deeply, you pray earnestly. Before we move on, I want to pause real quick and speak to the men for just a second. Men, there are two men in this story. Elkanah and Eli. And for each of them, this has to be the most dense time in each of their lives. Men, this story's embarrassing if you're a guy, right? Like, Elkanah's got his wife struggling. He comes to her and he says, hey, what's wrong? Like, dense, doesn't get it. Am I not as good to you as 10 sons? She probably thought, no, idiot, you're not. Go away. Then you got Eli in her moment of crying out to God. He's like, hey, are you drunk? It's embarrassing, guys. But we are dense like that, aren't we? Right? End of the day, the wife's beat down. The kids are acting terrible. And we're just like, hey, what's going on? Like, come on. Even if I'm not preaching the Father's Day sermon this year, I'm going to write it and preach it on social media. And I'm just going to build it around these two guys. What not to do? The story of Elkanah and Eli. (laughs) Men, do better, okay? So then in verse 19, it says, They rose early in the morning and worshiped the Lord and returned and came to their house. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, Because I've asked for him from the Lord. So this is the third thing I want to point out, the final trait of a faithful, godly mom. And it is this, dedicated to God. She dedicated her child to to the Lord God. Uh, Scripture tells us that when she had weaned Samuel, which could have been as long as three years, she did not take him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh until she had weaned him. But once she had weaned him, she showed up with Samuel in Shiloh at the house of the Lord. And Scripture says that she said, I lend him to you for all the days of his life, God. Now this isn't, hey God, want to borrow my kid for just few minutes like my dad loaning me out at 12 hey you want to mow the neighbor's yard your dad is not like that the, the the meaning behind the word she lent him back to the lord for life means she gave him completely and utterly turned him over to god from that day forevermore as long as he would live she completely let go of him and entrusted him to god completely giving him up. Now think about that. She had a barren womb. What does that mean? If you have a barren ground, it means that it's dead. Nothing can grow. 
So this isn't something that she woke up one day and, and just took the right pill or the right vitamin and her closed barren womb decided to open up and bear children. This is a miracle from the hand of God. Her womb is dead. He opens it back up. He creates life. From that comes the, one of the great spiritual leaders of Israel. But she's holding that newborn that she had prayed relentlessly for. How hard is it to take him and say, here, God, he's yours forevermore. I walk away. Because you know the flesh was like, well, if I could just keep him till he's 18, and then when he's, when he's grown, I'll let him go. No, she turned him over. And in doing so, she was obedient to Mosaic law where she completed and fulfilled the vow that she had made. If you give me a son, I'll dedicate him to you for all the days of his life. Hannah was obedient because Hannah was faithful to God and Hannah prayed to God. And when the time came, Hannah dedicated her child unto God. And the result of that obedience to that vow was a blessing. Hannah was now fertile. Samuel was not the only child she would have. God left her womb open. She would go on to have more children. But even greater than the blessing to Hannah and her family was the blessing that God used through Hannah's obedience and her faithfulness to God to bless the nation of Israel because Samuel would go on to be one of the great spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. It's a blessing. Motherhood serves a higher power. Like Hannah, godly mothers are faithful to God. You walk with God. Faithful mothers approach God through prayer and worship. And faithful mothers ask God to grant them the gift of life within them. And then when that gift comes, faithful mothers dedicate that gift back to God. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to go quick. But this right here, inside of that, and three more that I have just like it, I've, I've put them all together and put them in binders. For those of you that may know, those of you may not, and I'm not going to get in, I'm just going to tell you because it's part of this point. But I spent a decade lost in addiction, okay? And in that time, in that decade, my mom comes to me. I'll, I'll be 15 years clean and sober uh, three weeks from now. And in that time, that 10 years, my mom gives me this about six, seven years ago-ish. And <clears throat> I said, what is this? And she said, just look at it. And I opened it up. And it was 10 years of addiction. It was 10 years of prayers written out for me. And you can see at the end of them, the prayers turn into like, God, I give him over to you because there's nothing else we can do. Like life or death, he's in your hands taken because we're, we're powerless. And what's really cool about it is then in the first six or seven years of my recovery, she went back in a different color pen and she wrote down where God had answered those prayers. That's powerful, guys. I had to pray this morning, God, let me not get teary talking about this. Because she gave me over to God. The point I want to get across to you this morning is this. Being a good mom has nothing to do with how good of a lunch you pack. Has nothing to do with 
how quickly after the kids get home from school that you can get home from school. It has nothing to do with how great you can make vacation or how great you can make summer or the older they get, how great of a grandma you can be. It's got nothing to do with how good of an advice can you give or how many hours of TV can I spend watching with my kid or books can I read my kid. All of those things flow out of a faithful godly mother, but they are not what make you a faithful and godly mother. So I want to encourage you moms this morning to let go of that burden. Let go of that burden because what makes y'all amazingly faithful, good, godly, worthy to follow mothers is that you understand how much God loves you and in turn you love to learn to love and follow God faithfully and in doing so you lead your children to him they see him through you and then you release them and trust them to him what does it take to be a faithful mother show your kids Jesus when they leave home at 18, whether they go to college or whether they go start a business or whether they go to mechanic school or whether they're kicking around like nowadays, it seems like you can do this till you're 40. I don't know what I'm going to do. But no matter what stage they're at, if they walk away and they know you love them, they know you love God and they in turn have learned to seek after and love God themselves. Good job. Mothers, I respect what you do more than anything in this world. Because what you do, I could not do. I'm going to pray, but here's what I want. As I pray, I'm going to have a moment of silence at the end. And in that moment of silence, I believe that you moms in here, but also I believe Scripture is good for everybody. So I think a Mother's Day sermon even has an effect on people that aren't mothers like men. Because the Word of God speaks, right? And it never comes back empty and void. And so as I pray and then we take this moment of silence, I want you to think about what that burden point in your life is. And it may be your children. Maybe your marriage, your home life, your finances, a disease, whatever it is. I want you to think about how through it you can remain faithful to God and stay in the room. How you can pray to God earnestly and cry out. And how you can take that problem and dedicate in submission, dedicate it back to God and trust Him with it.